0: Grab yourself a Baileys and hot chocolate and listen to the Mutual Audio Network.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended.
2: This is Pulp Puri Theater, starring the Nerada Radio Company.
3: Hello and welcome to Pulpery Theatre, and welcome to our third annual holiday special. Just to be clear, we're in our fourth season, but I didn't think to write a Christmas-type story for our first season. See how the math works? So, (laughs) what do we have in store for you? We start out with a recitation of a poem by Robert Frost, stopping by woods on a snowy evening, read by one of our newer members, Lisa Michaud. Lisa says this is one of her favorite poems, and you'll agree with me that her recitation proves that. Quick on the heels of that comes another poetry recitation, a very fun one from 1622 entitled A Christmas Carol by George Wither, not to be confused with the Charles Dickens story. This is a lively performance by four of our members. And our final bit for this installment is a complete episode of the long-running radio comedy series The Bickersons, set at Christmas Eve 1946. So, on behalf of the entire Narada Radio Company, this is Pete Lutz, wishing you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Season's Greetings, Happy Hanukkah, Joyous Kwanzaa, and a safe and successful and Happy New Year. On with the
1: show.
2: Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost Those woods, these are, I think I know, his house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind on downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. and miles to go before I sleep.
0: Hello, friends! Welcome to another installment of the Bix Bixby book review. I'm Carmen Mileenta, sitting in for Phil Boyd Studge, your usual announcer for this segment. After five previous encounters with Bix and his art players, Mr. Studge said he couldn't stomach the thought of another one, so the producers asked me to come in. Whoa! Well, this is pretty exciting for me, I must say. I've never seen this sort of thing before. Mr. Bixby? I understand you and your troupe of players are here again to present another live dramatization of a famous novel. Is that right?
4: Hello! Yes, we're back again to bring our valuable educational service to the great Unwashed. And today, in honor of the holiday season, we're presenting a very thrilling scene from that seminal Yuletide story, A Christmas Carol, by Charles Dickens. Yes, it's certainly seminal.
0: <laughs> I guess you like that word, huh, Mr. Bixby?
4: <laughs> yes.
0: I really don't think it means what you think it means. Oh, is this your troop? Hi there, fellas.
3: Hi, Miss Mylanta. Hey Carmen. Nice to meet you. How's it going?
0: Anyway... My notes say that A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' Story, published in 1843, set the standard by which all subsequent holiday fiction would be judged. <laughs> Woo! That's a mouthful. I've never read it myself. But what do you think?
4: What do I think? About what, sweetie?
0: About what I just said. Was A Christmas Carol as important as all that?
4: <laughs> did that dear man Phil Boyd write that? He did... <laughs> Well, you can certainly take his word for it. He's, never wrong.
0: Okie dokie! Um, are you ready to get started?
4: (laughs) Ooh, I like you. We are going to get along famously. (laughs) Alrighty. Hello, everybody! This scene takes place on an open plain in the Oklahoma Territory where a cavalry officer is sitting astride his horse on a small rise we just know you're going to love it so here now a scene from a christmas carol by charles dickens
0: oh boy good
3: morning colonel Uh, good morning, Corporal. What news do you have today about the Apache uprising? Begging the Colonel's pardon,
5: but the Scouts just come back with their report, and they say there ain't no Apaches in this territory at all.
3: Why, you no
5: good! (laughs) Whoa! What did the Colonel do that for?
3: Mount up your horse, Corporal, and address me with the respect due a colonel in the United States Cavalry. Now, what's all this nonsense about no Apaches in the area?
5: Uh, uh, yes, sir. Them scouts tell me that looking for Apaches in Oklahoma is just about as useless as looking for ice in hell. Apaches live in Texas and Arizona, they tell me.
1: Why, you
3: no
5: good! Uh, ah, ow! Colonel, sir, I'm only telling you what the scouts told me.
3: I'm beginning to lose my patience, Corporal, with your insubordinate tone. way I see it, Apaches can't be holding up in the Oklahoma Territory if and there ain't no Apaches. So, how about them other tribes? The Choctaws? The Seminoles?
5: Well, begging the colonel's pardon, but them tribes is just as peaceful as you please at the current moment. Why, you
0: no good! Uh, (laughs) What are you stopping for? Isn't there more to the story?
4: Uh, what? This was always the point at which Phil Boyd would jump in and stop us.
0: Really? Why would he do that? So, you don't have...
4: No, we don't have anything prepared beyond this point.
0: But it was just getting going. I absolutely love this book already. Will you do a longer bit next time?
4: (laughs) We sure will, honey.
0: Excellent! And folks, that's all the time we have for this edition of the Bix Bixby Book Review. I'm Carmen Mylanta, and we're taking it back to the studio. Bye for now! Bye! Bye!
3: A Christmas Carol, written by George Wither, 1622.
5: So now is come our joyfulst feast. Let every man be jolly. Each room with ivy leaves is dressed, and every post with holly. Though some churls at our mirth repine, Round your foreheads garlands twine, Drown sorrow in a cup of wine, And let us all be merry.
6: Now all our neighbors' chimneys smoke, And Christmas blocks are burning. Their ovens they with baked meats choke, And all their spits are turning. Without the door let sorrow lie, And if for cold it hap to die, We'll bury it in a Christmas pie, And evermore be merry.
2: Now every lad is wondrous trim, And no man minds his labor. Our lasses have provided them A bagpipe and a tabor. Young men and maids and girls and boys Give life to one another's joys, And you anon shall by their noise Perceive that they are merry. Rank misers now do sparing shun, Their hall of music soundeth. And dogs thence with whole shoulders run, So all things there aboundeth. The country folk themselves advance, For crowdy muttons come out of France, And Jack shall pipe, and Jill shall dance, And all the town be merry.
5: Ned Swash hath fetched his bands from pawn, And all his best apparel. Nell hath bought a ruff of lawn With droppings of the barrel. And those that hardly all the year had bread to eat or rags to wear will have both clothes and dainty fare, and all the day be merry.
6: Now poor men to the justices with capons make their errands, and if they hap to fail of these, they plague them with their warrants. But now they feed them with good cheer, and what they want they take in beer. For Christmas comes but once a year, and then they shall be merry.
2: Good farmers in the country nurse the poor, that else were undone. Some landlords spend their money worst on lust and pride at London. There the roysters they do play, drab and dice their land away, which may be ours another day, and therefore let's be merry. The client now his suit forbears. The prisoner's heart is eased. The debtor drinks away his cares and for the time is pleased. Though others' purses be more fat, why should we pine or grieve at that? Hang sorrow, care will kill a cat, and therefore let's be merry. Hark, how the wags abroad do call
5: each other forth to rambling. Anon you'll see them in the hall for nuts and apples scrambling. Hark how the roofs with laughter sound. Anon they'll think the house goes round. For they the cellar's depth have found, and there they will be merry.
6: The wenches with their wassail bowls about the streets are singing. The boys are come to catch the owls. The wild mare inn is bringing. Our kitchen boy hath broke his box, and to the dealing of the ox our honest neighbors come by flocks, and here they will be merry. Now kings and
2: queens, poor sheep coats have, and mate with everybody. The honest now may play the knave, and wise men play at naughty. Some youths will now a mumming go, and others play at rowland and ho, and twenty other game boys mow, because they will be merry then wherefore in these merry days should we, I pray, be duller?
5: No, let us sing some roundelays to make our mirth the
6: fuller. And whilst thus inspired we sing, let all the streets with echoes ring. Woods and hills and everything, bear witness, we are merry!
3: Our performers were in order, Austin Hannah, Jerry Eliph. George Hatfield, and Christy Glick.
7: And now, the makers of Little Donuts, covered all over with powdered sugar, are proud to present Pete Lutz as Don Amici and Victoria Fonsky as Francis Langford, as John and Blanche Bickerson in The Honeymoon is Over, or The Gift of the Stink Eye. It's Christmas Eve, and the Bickersons have not Retired, Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom, while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickerson's small apartment.
2: Listen.
8: John? John? Will you bring the scissors, please? John, what is he doing in there? Oh, no. man fall asleep on a ladder. Oh, I haven't got the heart to wake him. better get him off of there john john
3: whoa what's the matter blanche what happened huh
8: oh you poor dear did you hurt yourself
3: no no I'm, i'm i'm all right how'd i fall off that ladder i must have fainted
8: yes dear you were fainting like a log when i came in why john what you never even touched your dinner not a morsel of it
3: i don't like the looks of it blanche
8: Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you?
3: No. Just tell me what's on that big plate.
8: Are you trying to be funny, John?
3: I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it?
8: You know very well that I can only cook two things, liver and rice pudding.
3: Well, which one is that?
8: How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John?
3: Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding.
8: Why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough.
3: I eat plenty.
8: Well, what did you have for lunch today?
3: Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas?
8: John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh,
3: Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink.
8: Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps.
3: How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche?
8: Go on, eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree.
3: I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep.
8: Well, aren't you going to finish the tree?
3: I can do it in the morning.
8: But, John, tomorrow is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming and the milkman is coming. Listen,
3: Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over?
8: I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills.
3: Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills.
8: Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package and I had to get her something in return. No,
3: you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything.
8: Well, she did, just the same. So I bought her a bottle of perfume.
3: How much was that?
8: $24.
3: $24? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume. Well,
8: it was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume, very daring. It's called Perhaps.
3: Perhaps? For $24, you should get Positively.
8: Oh, don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card.
3: I did send you a Christmas card.
8: It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely.
3: I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago.
8: John, you promised you wouldn't shout.
3: Well, then why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had. Well, I
8: never received it.
3: Well, then it got lost in the mail.
8: That's possible. Thank heaven. All the other cards came.
3: That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it?
8: If you sent it.
3: I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it. A beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck. All right, John. Well, do you believe me?
8: Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year.
3: Uh, What's the use? All right. So I didn't send you a card. That's all? Why didn't you admit it before? There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument. But I really sent it!
8: What did it say on it?
3: It said, Merry Christmas to my love. That
8: could be anybody.
3: Let me finish. It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans.
8: You're only adding insult to injury, John.
3: Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my card.
8: So it is. See, you didn't have to get so excited after all. Thank you, darling. It's a lovely card.
3: Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep.
8: Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree.
3: All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string.
8: Can't you buy a bulb?
3: The stores aren't open now. What time is it?
8: Five past twelve.
3: Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open the presents.
8: You didn't even hang up your stocking.
3: I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh? All right. Say, we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from?
8: That's from Leo Gooseby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle.
3: Oh? Oh, is that what this is? I hope it's good stuff. Ah. Ah, Mmm, that's not bad at all.
8: John, that's shampoo.
3: Shampoo? Why, that chiseler, two-bit Leo, what do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there?
8: It's another present for you, from your boss.
3: No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Um, what is it, Blanche?
8: A five-gallon can of lighter fluid.
3: Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter.
8: Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else.
3: Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. Must get these things in a romance sale. I never heard of such presents.
8: Here's one for me from Louise Shaw.
3: Shoo, but that's a dilly.
8: Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Wow, look at
3: that. What is it?
8: It's a polo score pad. Isn't that nice?
3: That'll sure come in handy. Honest. Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else?
8: Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I've got you first, and then you can show me what you got for me? Now close your eyes. I'll unveil it.
3: Well, all right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I, I, I don't really want anything.
8: Open your eyes,
3: Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling, that, why, that's beautiful. That's a dream—a portable bar with a brass rail.
8: Don't you think a kiss is in order, John?
3: Oh, a million kisses.
8: Well, stop kissing the bar. I meant a kiss for me.
3: Oh, sorry, darling. It's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh Blanche, that that must have cost a fortune.
8: John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat.
3: You you sold your fur coat?
8: Well, I wanted you to have the bar and I didn't have the money.
3: You sold your coat? That beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday? That gorgeous bald mink?
8: I got $75 for it. The bar cost $85.
3: Aw, Blanche, you never should have sold that bald mink.
8: Well, it doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat and I never get cold.
3: Yeah, but uh, you don't understand. Uh, Open the present I got for you.
8: I can't wait, John. Oh, oh, a muff, a fur muff.
3: Genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts. And you sold the coat.
8: Well, what's the difference, darling? Someday you'll make a lot of money and then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. I'm very happy, John. I know,
3: but, uh... And you
8: still have the gorgeous bar.
3: That's just it.
8: What's the matter?
3: I sold all my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us.
8: I think it's wonderful, John.
3: What do you mean, Blanche?
8: I've never been so happy in my life. We both made a sacrifice and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me.
3: I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey. Most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults. What woman hasn't? Or what man either, for that matter? We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way. And I love you more than anything on earth. John. Hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver, or or rice pudding, or whatever it is you made?
8: It's liver.
3: I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. (laughs) Let's go.
8: Merry Christmas, darling.
3: Merry Christmas.
7: That was the Bickerson's Christmas Eve. Originally broadcast on December 22nd, 1946. Lovingly reenacted by... Pete Lutz as Don Amici as John Bickerson and Victoria Fonsky as Francis Lankford as Blanche Bickerson. Your announcer was Dana Gonsalves. Music and sound effects were obtained through the public domain and a Creative Commons license. The Bickerson's are brought to you by the makers of Little Donuts, covered all over with powdered sugar. Good night and Merry Christmas.
1: Preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain, except where indicated. The audio play, script, and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creator, and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulp Puri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. 63 Audio. This is Mutual.